So, you would be familiar, we talked uh, multiple times with a, a story that Jesus, John chapter 4, has an interaction with a Samaritan woman at the well. And we've multiple times we've read this whole story. So you would recall this is a woman who has broken relationships, multiple marriages, promises broken, a woman who's been mistreated, who culturally speaking would have been ostracized, and yearning for something different, something better. And Jesus has an interaction with her and says some things that I think are relevant to us as we have been uh, talking about our worship. And this is the context in which he says a worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus replied to her, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Water of the well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Sir, the woman said, you, you must be a prophet. And she's responding to where she said, okay, yes, that sounds good. And he says, go and tell your husband. Reveals to her that he, he knows her story. She says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? So there's a lot that goes into this, which we have talked about before. But she references a particular point of racial and cultural divide. And when it comes to worship, this is an area that people fuss and fight over. And so she knew that this would be a question that she could ask that would get the attention off her. And what Jesus is trying to lead her into, this wholehearted relationship with God. And it's in response to this question that Jesus affirms some of the aspects of the Old Covenant things we read about in the Old Testament, but he also prophesies, he predicts what would happen in the New Covenant. He said, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Jesus would be the fulfillment of that prophecy to Abraham. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers, she had brought up this concept in the language of her question about, it's an argument over who's really worshiping the right way, which is a concept we see all throughout Scripture going back to Genesis. Who's worshiping the right way? Jesus says the time is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
So, a part of what we see, oh, sorry, let me finish with this part. Woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. Like, okay, okay, okay. I know that there is a better day that is coming. The Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I, I don't know if we understand all this. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And as the story goes, she believed. Her life was changed and she told others. She brought people from her town to this saving knowledge of Jesus. What we have in the context of this conversation where worship is brought up is a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. God's love poured out salvation, a new spiritual heart, new life, forgiveness of sins, a wiping away of that past, of a compulsion to repeat mistakes, a wiping away of moral guilt before God, of being made pure, being made whole, being brought into this new life, a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ is the motivation for, is what worship springs out of. And the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we see in the context of this conversation, when worship is brought up, we see the triune God, the one true living God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A relationship where it's, whoa, Jesus is my Savior and King, and the Holy Spirit, is, there's a bubbling up within me of new spiritual life. It doesn't originate with me, it comes from God, it, it, there, there is an overflow. That is the context in which Jesus says, to worship in spirit and in truth. It's an engaging of your spirit. And think about what Jesus pointed to, the Shema, right? Jesus pointed to, we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sorry, but you realized I forgot to turn this on. So, Jesus has said you must love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's saying that to believers who received salvation in him, right? He said, Jesus, you are my Savior, you are my King. They've received that new spiritual life, that forgiveness of sins, that life is different now, and life will ultimately be different in the future, that confident hope of heaven. And so out of that springs a gratitude. And for the gratitude motivation, Jesus says the most important, you must love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus here in John 4 brings this teaching, you must worship in spirit and in truth. It's your whole person, and it's based on an honest and true relationship with God. So think about it like this. You're engaging your spirit because it is truly a spiritual thing. And you are worshiping based on truth. Based on who God really is. So you worship with words that are true. So it engages your whole person. Right? Truth-filled, spiritual worship of God. It's your heart and your mind. Think about this. With my heart, what do I love? With my mind, what do I believe? It's an engaging of your whole person in the worship of God, in spirit and in truth. This is worship New Testament style. 
This is, if I'm, I'm just calling myself a Christian, that means I'm, I'm saying that I am following Jesus. I seek to become more like Jesus. And I'm living out of this kind of gratitude. And we see a heart and a mind all the way through the Old Testament. We see that. God says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Through Ezekiel, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Jesus would teach and he references multiple times mercy and truth, spirit and word. Those two, two things being linked in the same phrase we see throughout the Old Testament and in the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, worship in spirit and in truth. It's important for us to understand. Who God is, what God has said, and all that we are experiencing spiritually with Him, those two things come together in the place of worship. So, in the 75 minutes we have together every Sunday in this place, when we come together at 9 o'clock, it's not so that you can listen to a concert and get spiritually warmed up for the other activities for a teaching that's more important than the singing. No, that's not it. That's not it. If that were it, there are better concerts you can go to. (laughs) And, and, And maybe more refined messages you can hear. But what we see in the New Testament, if a New Testament style of worship is people who came together to do these things together. So we learned last week and prior to that that there's a lot to learn from the Psalms. A psalmic worship includes declaring the truth about God and not only worshiping when you feel like it. In fact, worshiping when you really don't feel like it. We talked about that at length last week and a couple weeks before that. So worship New Testament style would be in spirit and in truth. And then what we see repeated, and if something's repeated in the Bible, maybe it's important. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it's really important that we understand what they understood of the things that were most important. And what I hear throughout the ether, especially since 2020, there's lots of more videos that have been put out online that are critical about churches and critical about worship music is a lack of understanding about what the Bible actually teaches, whoa, 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 what God actually teaches. Because it's God who inspired every word to be written down. So watch this now. Again, this is in the all y'all vocabulary out of Ephesians chapter 5. Remember the first three chapters focus on being changed by Jesus, being someone who's been loved by Jesus, drawing spiritual roots out of the love of Jesus, and it it gets practical. There's so much in the New Testament that's very practical. So again, in the all y'all grammar, meaning it's for everybody, not the people who like to sing, it's for everybody. Watch this. So be careful how you live. Do not live like those who are wise, but live wisely. You ever been to around some believers that are really focused on this kind of stuff? Maybe some mean-spirited legalism. Focused just on actions alone. Watch the teaching that God inspires through the believers. 
Be careful how you live. Do not live like those who are not wise, but live wisely. Use every chance you have for doing good, because these are evil times. So do not be foolish, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Engage yourself in learning what God wants you to do. Now, in this context, watch what comes next, because in the Greek, it's the same sentence. Do not be drunk with wine, which will ruin you. We have scriptures about how drunkenness is a sin, but be filled with the Spirit. And this is an ongoing, a progressive. It's not just, I assume that when I said yes to Jesus, that the Spirit is in me and always within me, and I'm not involved with it at all. Now, the Spirit certainly is within you, and the language is that you are involved in repeated fillings. You are involved in welcoming the Holy Spirit into your every moment, into your every hour. Be filled with the Spirit. Because remember, he's writing to people who already have been filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, and again, in the same sentence, Paul in the Greek talks in paragraphs. Speak to each other, watch this now, pay attention. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody, making music in your hearts to the Lord. To me? No, to the Lord. Speak to each other. We get the same, uh, always give thanks to God, uh, Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Relationship context. That's the context of this. It's not a music club. The context is this life-changing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's focused on. The same thing he writes to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now it's interesting, he's talking about singing and he says speaking. When we study this out, an idea that doesn't come from me, it's actually been passed down since the first century church, the scholars that interpreted the word the first century church, is that when we sing together, we are singing to God and we are speaking to each other. He's literally saying, talk to each other with the words that you sing. That's literally what he's saying. Talk to each other with the words that you sing. So what words are in the Psalms is important. It, it matters what, what words we are singing. And I know that there's been criticisms of songs that are just lovey-dovey. But guess what? The Bible has loads of psalms that are lovey-dovey. The Bible is actually full of it. And in fact, some of the very songs that YouTubers and people have criticized are actually directly quoting the Bible. In modern English. And what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks through the Psalms. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that when I woke up today, I didn't need to come up with my words to share with you. But now I have what God has already spoken through the Scripture to share with you. And what we see is that God has been speaking to the human race about His faithfulness. You go all the way back to Exodus 34 where God reveals His faithfulness. 
And when we hear songs that say, He won't fail. God has never failed me. He won't fail me. It's speaking of the faithfulness of God. And that phrase has been specifically criticized, and I want to speak to it. Here's what we mean when we sing that. We mean that God is faithful. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us, even when it looks like He has. That, again, that goes back to psalmic worship, which we talked about at length last week and a couple of weeks ago. Even when it looks like He has, God hasn't failed us. God is still faithful in His love. God is still faithful in His purpose. What we do not, we, Sunday Harbor Church, do not mean when we sing songs, He won't fail me, is that God serves me and my agenda and what I think God should do. No, 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 that's selfish and immature. We don't mean that. That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're saying God is faithful to His purpose. What He wants to do is say, God, have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Whatever you think is best, God. And God, I'm going to choose to worship you here and now in that. And what we see is that God has been speaking to the human race, humans who have been failed by friends, by Romantic partners, by parents, by employers, by schools, by others. People have been failed. And they need to know that there is a God who is different who won't fail them. So that's why we sing, He won't fail us. So that's a part of, when we come together, here in song groups, when we sing, we are actually talking to each other with what we sing. And there's three kinds of songs. In 15 minutes, we'll give you a, a teaching of the three kinds of songs that are worship New Testament style. What do we see? Songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? I want to put some stuff in the notes um, that's kind of technical that you can get a, a chance to read later. It'll be in the post, all right? So in the first century church, songs is the first thing that's mentioned. They all accepted and used the Old Testament worship literature as the basis for singing, Okay? They started with what Jesus prayed and sung. The people that saw Jesus with their eyes, heard him with their ears, they started with following Jesus. And what Jesus did was he quoted the Psalms, he sang the Psalms, he worshiped God the Father with the Psalms. Last week we saw a picture of that out of Hebrews 2. Jesus worships with the Psalms. So in the first century church, they used that Old Testament worship literature. The Psalms of the Bible are God's inspired word. And worship from this source is first and foremost. Last Sunday we sang Psalm 34, which Justin Cook put to music. Okay? That was a, a, a song that Justin wrote the music, but we were singing Psalm 34. Today, in multiple Sundays, even with singing, He Won't Fail, that's straight out of the Psalms. Okay? So the Psalms of the Bible are God's inspired word. Worship from this source is first and foremost. This type of singing is God-glorifying. And life instilling. Because it is in being breathed into the heart as it is being breathed out in song. How do we know God interacts with us? Well, one way is to interact with God the way that people in the Bible interacted with God. So John Chrysostom, one of the most famous uh, ministers of the early church, said this, Learn to sing songs, then you will see pleasure indeed. So singing the psalms. So we should speak to each other, speak truth to each other by singing songs. Now we also get this word hymns. I know some of us creative types feel like that's a bad word. 
It's actually derived from the Greek word for a religious song or a spiritual song. A song that's a part of worship, a song that's focused on the relationship with God. Every generation writes their own songs about God and to God. Hymns are a song of testimony, triumph, exaltation, adoration, and celebration of God. They're defined by their subject, God. We're careful in the songs that we choose. The songs that we choose, what we believe when we sing them is that the focus is God. Now, some expressions which you see in the songs, the, the songwriter describes God by describing the impact that God has had on them. So this is this could be the same in our relationship. Sometimes when I write Rebecca a thank you card, a love note, an anniversary card, sometimes in by praising her, I write about how she's affected me. So this is, this is the same in that respect. Is that hymns establish songs that have been sung for a while that people have said, hey, this is good, are God-focused. And sometimes it's focused on the attributes of God, like God's faithfulness, God's glory, God's love, God's power. And other times they use, this is how God has impacted me as a describer. It does not mean that we worship our feelings. It does not mean we follow our feelings. It does not mean that our feelings are most important. But God did create our feelings. And so when our feelings worship God, God really enjoys it. And we have lots of scripture that describes that. We announce God's work in songs, described as hymns. We praise God and review God's attributes, testifying to his goodness as experienced over the centuries. Spiritual songs. So Paul defined a specific form of music distinct and unique to the church. Actually, a study of history will show that the New Testament church was the only spiritual group on the planet at the time that we have written record of that they did this. This was a unique thing that they did. It was a form of music foreshadowed in David's Psalms and taught by the Apostle Paul as a normal part of the Christian's worship experience. Paul is referring to Holy Spirit-filled people of both character and charisma. Spiritual songs are exercised separate from the singing of psalms and hymns. It was a singing of unrehearsed, spirit-empowered, spirit-understood songs. It's a complementary act to be intermingled in the worship experience in keeping with Paul's instructions about weekly worship services in 1 Corinthians, which says basically... Don't have chaos that would be confusing and turn people away from Jesus when you get together in a public gathering. Do things decently and in order, but don't stifle the spirit. But he uses the spirit word that he uses there, the way that he uses it is actually the same way, same word, same way that he refers to spiritual gifts. So it's God gives you an ability. So it's different than creative writing. Okay? So creative writing is good, and you can do creative songwriting that becomes hymns, and that would be a part of what we should do. But what they had when they got together was a time of singing off the page. Not words that had already been sung in the past, but things that were new, where the Holy Spirit was involved in bringing an ability, inspiring, and leading 
where people said, whoa, that was good. That was the Holy Spirit. In other words, that's consistent with who we know God is. That's consistent with what we, how we know God works. There's a new song that is sung and that it was a part of their time of worship. And what you see multiple times would be Chris or Rebecca Cook or Chiquetta or Rebecca Mom would give, lead us into an opportunity for you to sing off the page. And at times you may even have somebody who would then get on the mic and sing that song on the mic. That should be a part of our practice because that's what they did. That's what they were instructed to do. Talk to each other with your songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's a wholehearted, I love God, and here's what I want you to catch. And this is a part of us growing up in the faith. Is that it's not a bad thing to be new to the faith. And I'm looking around the room. No one here is really, truly new to the faith. It's totally normal to come in with the idea of it being a concert. Something I observe. But what we should take away from these scriptures is that that's not what it is. It's not the optional time. I can skip that part. It's not the observing entertainment time. It's the engaging of my spirit time. It's the, I'm here, this is important, this is maybe the most important part of my week. To come together in the public gathering, to worship God, to love God with the best of my energy, my heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God out loud, to sing out loud when prompted to clap, to dance, to shout, to praise God, to talk to my fellow believers in the house with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It is one of the most important parts of what's going on inside you. And sometimes when we feel it the least is when we need it the most, which is why we've been talking about that aspect of it almost every week for the past five weeks. It's when I don't feel that I need to come together. I gotta come together. I need to engage my spirit. I want to tell you something. 15 plus months of dealing with my own physical problems, this aspect of my relationship with God is what has gotten me through. Or I should more accurately say what God has used to get me through. And I, I remember the, the refrain of the song Promises from Maverick City, where Naomi sings at the end. I still got my hallelujah. Yeah. Where there's this heartbroken, heart worship, love of God that says, God, even when I don't see it, my worship of you is a way that you pull me through. And when we neglect the gathering of believers, when we let these things get to us, our spirits miss something that they need. Because remember, these scriptures are God-inspired to all the believers. This is what you should do. You should talk to each other with your songs, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There should be an atmosphere of regularly getting together where this happened. Making melody to the Lord in your hearts. 
It means paying attention while you're singing. It means not letting your mind drift. And those who in singing do not offer this deep attention to God are merely mouthing psalms, uttering words where their hearts are elsewhere. We all do it. We all do it. God's a gracious God who sent Jesus that we can be freely forgiven of every mistake we make. The ones we think are big or little. So when you get off track, just apologize, receive forgiveness, and engage yourself. Interact with God. God meets you in that place. God interacts with you. God lifts your spirit. God engages with you. It gives your spirit a chance to be aware of God's presence. Making this decision, what we see over and over and over in the stories that are told in the Bible, is that when we make this decision, it gives our spirit a chance to govern our flesh. It gives us a chance to no longer be fragmented and distracted and distraught and pulled this way and pulled that way, but actually brought to a place of unity, actually brought to a place of peace, actually inviting God to come, inviting God to bring you into alignment and that righteousness, peace, and joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Not you trying to force something, pretend something, pull something up out of yourself. No, no, no. It's just a decision. God, I will worship you. And then the Holy Spirit comes in that place and lifts it up and through you. Just like any exercise, if we don't exercise, we lose it. Here's the thing. Here's the reason it's not heavy. It's not up to you. The heavy lifting God does. God gives an ability. It's an invitation into this love relationship with God. And God enables that relationship. It's God who called you to himself before you even said yes to Jesus. Before you were water baptized. Before you received the Holy Spirit. It's God who was drawing you when you were at your worst. God didn't wait for you to do something good for him to love you. When you were at your worst, God loved you. He reached out to you. He drew you to himself to receive salvation from Jesus Christ. So that there could be this thank you God that arises from inside of you. And you can know the joy and the fulfillment of when we come together. Wholehearted with all we've got in spirit and in truth to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are growing as a church in our worship culture. We are in a better place in our worship culture than we were last year. And we are growing in our worship culture in a way that if you will get engaged with it, if you will start to think, hey, you know, I wonder what would happen if I came at 845 when the band is practicing, I said hi to my friends, and I got myself engaged in a prayerful moment to focus on God so that 9 a.m. I was ready to worship God in spirit and in truth, talking to my fellow believers in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's only 75 minutes every Sunday morning that we're together to do this in this way. 
Because this is our public gathering. Right? When we do this in homes, it's our private gathering. And both things are a part of the New Testament imperative that we should do. It benefits you. Remember, God knows for best results. Because God is alive, aware, able, active, already at work. God's kingdom is what will prevail, what cannot be defeated, what cannot be conquered. This will benefit you. Out loud, singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs, making music in your hearts. It's amazing what this does. Let's pray. I know there could be lots of questions, concerns, arguments. About this, I'm here for all that. Thank you, God. You've spoken to us through the scripture. Thank you, God. You saved us because you love us. Thank you, God. You lead us in the way that is best in your way. Thank you, God, that you are worthy of praise. That regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we are facing, you have already been good. You will be proven to be good. You already have provided for us. You already have done good for us. You already have done the greatest miracle of salvation, of forgiving us our mistakes, sending Jesus that we can receive salvation and be invited into this relationship with you. Thank you, God, that heaven is our home. Thank you, God, for who you are, for all that you do, for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning, for hanging in there with me. Again, we'll have the notes up. Lots and lots of things to read and think about on this subject. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.